in Scripture. In fact, Randy Alcorn has written a wonderful book about that uh, that we'll be using as a supplemental material. So we want to encourage all of you to pick up a copy. They're $5 a piece. In fact, we made them available two years ago. How many still have a copy of the Treasure Principle at home? Well, great. If you don't have a copy, we'd really encourage you to pick one up so you can be reading uh, throughout the week as we talk about this life-changing principle in our lives. What is the treasure principle? Well, here it is. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. So we'll be unpacking that as we go throughout this series. One thing I want to encourage you to do, as always, is to bring your Bibles with you when you come to worship, because this is the revelation of God. This is how we know who God is. This is how we know God loves us. This is how we know God's plan for our lives. So if you don't have your Bibles with you today, bring it with you next week as we study God's Word together. The first thing we need to do in diving into the treasure principle is we need to understand the treasure. What is the treasure? The core passage from where we get this principle from God is Matthew 6, 19 through 23. It says there, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what do you think about when you think about treasure? Maybe this comes to mind, a pirate's treasure. Let's look at the dictionary, Webster's Dictionary. We see two different definitions. Treasure is wealth that is stored up or hoarded, or it is a store of money in reserve. That would fit what the Bible has to say about treasure. It's treasure that is stockpile, one might say, for a future use. The second definition is something of great value or worth. That also would fit in with what the Bible has to say about treasure. Treasure is mentioned 25 different times, depending upon the translation in Scripture. So, what is our treasure? Well, first of all, we need to think about what we value. That's our treasure, what we value in life. And we value a lot of things in life. I think the primary thing we value is relationships. Our relationship with our immediate family and extended family. Those are very important to us. We also value our health. That's something that we want to maintain. Uh, we value our stuff. We've got lots of stuff that we need in life, lots of stuff that we enjoy. That's something that's important to us. We also value experiences. We value the experience of going out to a good movie. We value the experience of going out to a good restaurant like Giordano's, my favorite restaurant. And you have your favorite restaurant. Those are great experiences. Or going on vacation to a wonderful place, going on a cruise, all kinds of wonderful experiences we can have in life. So that's what we value. Now we have treasure, and that's represented by our financial resources. And our financial resources flow to what we value. Okay? 
So when when we talk about our treasure, we're talking about the financial resources we have. And the principle that we're going to see is that whatever we value the most, that's where our financial resources are going to flow. The people we care about, we're going to spend a lot of money on. Our health, we're certainly going to be hopefully proactive about our health and spend money in that way and, of course, reactive to our health when things are not going as well. Our bodies are not working the way that they should. We are going to spend resources on our experiences, things that we enjoy. We're going to spend resources, of course, on our stuff. And again, as we identify where those resources go to, we we discover what we value. We discover where our heart is. Now, we have resources. Where do we get these resources? Well, we earn these resources, right? Some of you get up very early in the morning and you fight traffic and you get to your work and you use your intelligence and you use your abilities and your skills and your energy and then you fight your way home through traffic and spend some time with the family, go to bed and do it all over again, right? That's how you earn your treasure. And some people have the mentality, hey, it's all about me. I'm the person who makes it happen. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God is the one who makes it happen. God is the one who owns everything. We look in Psalm 24, 1, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and all who live in it. Everything belongs to God. He is the one who gave you your abilities. He's the one who gave you your intelligence. He's the one who gave you your skills. He's the one who gave you your job. He's the one who gives you every breath that you have. So everything that you've amassed, all your treasures, belong to God. They're His. It's all God's stuff. You got out of God's bed today. This morning, you got out of God's bed and you stepped onto the floor of God's home, not the bank's home, but God's home. And you went and got some of God's cereal. That's what I did, at least. It was a very fancy breakfast, but God has some good cereal, Raisin Bran, that I eat on a regular basis. So I ate some of God's cereal, and I put on some of God's clothes, and I got into God's car. Some of you say, I wish God had a better car. But he chose it specifically for you. The wonderful gift he's given you. You see, everything belongs to God. And this is so fundamental in understanding how we relate to our money that God has entrusted us to. In fact, the first principle of the treasure principle, the first point that is, is God owns everything and I'm his money manager. God owns everything and I'm his money manager. You need to realize that your stuff is not your stuff. It's God's stuff. He's given it to you, if you're a Christ follower, for a purpose, to use for His glory. He's given it to you to use for your needs. He's given it to use for the things that you desire in life. But mainly, He's given it to you in order that you might glorify Him through the proper management of it. So if you can understand this principle... If you can live it out from day to day, you're so far along in understanding this whole issue of money and how we relate to it. Now, let's go back to the dollar that you received. 
Whose dollar is this? Well, number one, it's God's dollar. Everything belongs to God. But who has it been entrusted to? Well, this dollar bill was entrusted to Dan and Lori Harrison. I went to the bank, and I got a bunch of dollar bills out of my account that God entrusted to me. So this is our dollar bill that God's given us. Now I'm entrusting this dollar bill to you. So you're going to view this dollar differently right now. Maybe you were thinking about red box and things like that. But you're saying, now wait a second, hold on. Harrison owns this bill. And God entrusted it to him, and now he's entrusting it to me for some reason I don't know. So what am I going to do with this dollar? Well, I'm going to listen to Dan and, and see what he has to say about what he wants me to do with the dollar that I've entrusted to you, that God entrusted to me. Okay, you understand? So, so the point I'm trying to get across here is that every dollar bill you have in your wallet, every credit card, any type of financial resources uh, you might have, belong to God. And every decision you make in spending that money is a spiritual decision. When you go to McDonald's, when you go to Chipotle's, when you go to Jimmy John's, another one of my favorites, uh, you're spending God's money. It's a spiritual decision when you spend God's money. All right? You're His money manager. It's so important that we keep in mind. Now let's go to the next part of this passage. We'll come back to the first part. But this is uh, what it goes on to say in verse 22. The eye is a lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. As I studied this passage throughout the years, this part has always puzzled me. It starts out, Starts out, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, store them in heaven. And that, that makes sense to me. And all of a sudden it starts talking about the eye as a lamp of the body. How does that flow? Well, after further study, what you realize is that the eye represents the heart. It's the eye gate. It's how information flows in to our lives. So in that day they understood it to be part of the soul, part of the heart, part of uh, who you are. So it's the way that you take in information. So the eye is the lamp of the body. It brings light into your body. If your eyes are good, if your eyes are clear, your whole body will be full of light. And that's what we want. We want our bodies to be full of light. And what's, what it means here is it means that if you are focusing on Jesus Christ, if He is the heart of your life, if you are committed to Him, you're far from perfect, but you're seeking Him out. Day by day by day, that light is coming in to your life. And you're learning about who God is. You're learning about His love. You're learning about His mercy. You're learning about His forgiveness. You're learning about His wisdom. You're learning how to depend upon Him. You're learning how to mature, to be more like Jesus Christ. And that's all beautiful because your eyes are clear. But that only happens when your focus is on Him. But our tendency is not to focus on Jesus. It's to focus on us. 
It's to focus on the world and what the world says brings satisfaction. And that's the next verse. But if your eyes are bad, if they're clouded, if you can't see because you're clouded by the world's values and your own desires that are not in line with God's, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So if you're looking at other things instead of Jesus Christ for that satisfaction in life, it's going to be dark. You're going to have frustration. You're going to have pain in your life. And it's interesting that a Jewish colloquialism is the evil eye. They said that back in that day. That person has an evil eye, which meant that that person was stingy. That person was tight with their money, and they weren't generous. It's interesting, again, that relationship back to money, that if you're focused on yourself, you're focused on what you think will make life what it needs to be, instead of focusing on what Christ wants for you, you're going to be tighter with your money and less generous. Because, again, it reflects your heart. Obviously, our goal is to focus on Jesus and let his light fill our lives. And it will impact, of course, how we spend his resources. Now, what you find is, is that the closer you grow to Christ, the more you become like him, the more it's going to transform the way you spend your money. Remember Zacchaeus, the wee little man who climbed the tree to see Jesus? We know that story so well, how Zacchaeus was a tax collector for the Romans. And Jewish people hated the Romans because they were occupied by them. And tax collectors were the worst because the Romans hired the tax collectors to collect the taxes. And nobody wanted to pay taxes to the Romans. On top of that, they were thieves because they stole. They charged much more than what they needed to charge. And they gouged people. And people were really upset about that, obviously. And Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He was the worst of the worst. And everybody had no respect. They hated Zacchaeus. But Jesus Christ has always wanted to spend time with him, right? The one guy that nobody wanted to spend time with, Jesus wanted to spend time with. They said, hey, you're coming to my house. Uh, I'm coming to your house uh, today. So uh, they get together and they have a conversation. We don't have the details of that, but... Obviously, Zacchaeus becomes a Christ follower. He puts his faith in Jesus Christ. And then we read this passage. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times that amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. So Zacchaeus, his heart is transformed. Before it was, how much treasure can I amass for myself? How much can I steal from other people to build up my treasure, to satisfy my needs? And then after he becomes a Christ follower, I'm going to give half of what I own to the poor. On top of that, I'm going to pay everybody back much more than what they required for restitution in that day. And that's when Christ makes this proclamation. Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. Now, why did he say it at this point? Did he say because Zacchaeus 
has given this money away, that he's a son of Abraham, that he's a, a Christ follower? No. What he's saying is, because he has taken me into his life, his heart has changed. His attitude toward money has changed. It's not the most important thing. It's the last thing in his life. He's willing to give it all up for me. So he's saying that today's salvation has come to this house. He's saying that Zacchaeus's response is a confirmation of the heart change that has taken place. Understand? And see, this is why it's important for us to understand this. Because as your heart changes toward your relationship with money and the role that it plays in your life because of Jesus, you're growing spiritually. We've talked many times about the fact that the way you manage your money is one of the best spiritual barometers of how you're growing in your relationship with God. We next come to our January memory verse, Matthew 6.21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I encourage people to memorize verses monthly last year, and I've heard a lot of stories of how that was a real encouragement to people, so we're continuing to do that, to put God's Word in our heart. This particular verse was our February verse. Now, some of you already memorized it. That's great. But if you didn't, you're getting another shot at it. And if you already know it, we'll pick out another memory verse, right? I mean, develop your own memory program. That's the whole idea. I'm just trying to prime the pump here, okay, by giving you an idea. But you need to have your own memory program. But this is a critical verse when we talk about the treasure principle. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we talked about this, that your treasure follows your heart. Whatever you value, whatever is important to you, that's where your treasure flows, to your relationships and to your health and to your experiences and to your stuff. That's where your treasure flows. Whatever's most important in your life, that's where you're going to find your treasure. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's say this together, okay? Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I encourage you to memorize that verse. The reason that we annually spend time talking about this important issue is because it's one of the most difficult issues in the spiritual life. How we manage our money, how we give our money to God. Because, you see, it's not about the money. God doesn't want your money. God wants your heart. And God knows that if He has your heart, it's going to be reflected in the fact that you are entrusting your money to Him. And this is so hard. This is not easy at all. And that's why Jesus Christ talked about it so much. He said a lot about prayer, 500 verses on prayer, said a lot about faith, 500 verses on faith. He said a lot about a lot of things. But you know, he said our 2,000 verses are dedicated to money in Jesus' teaching. 2,000 verses, that's a lot about managing resources. 16 out of the 38 parables had something to do with managing resources. Why is that? 
because it's an area we struggle with so much. And I know this is so true in my heart. My heart wanders so easily. I'm so sinful. And I have to continue to bring myself back. So this is kind of like an annual checkup, I guess you could say. This whole idea of the treasure principle is where is your treasure and what does that say about your spiritual life and how can you grow in managing that treasure? But it's important. And sometimes it's sensitive because it strikes to the heart of, of where we're really at in our relationship with God. That's why it's so important to talk about. So that's the treasure. The treasure is your financial resources, all of them, all the stuff you have. It all belongs to God. And the question is, where are you going to invest those resources? So let's go back to the beginning of our passage, Matthew six nineteen through 21. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. A little history on the passage, understanding. God is, Jesus Christ is saying, don't store up your treasures on earth because you're going to lose them eventually, like when you die, <laughs> even when you're still alive. There's uncertainty. There's all kinds of things that can happen to your treasures. Now, back in that day, they didn't have banks. It was an agrarian society. So if you had wealth, it was going to be in livestock, it was going to be in produce, it was going to be in clothes. Wealthy people had these beautiful clothes that had gold threads running through them and all kinds of gems and that type of thing, and that's how they'd show off their status. And then they'd also bury things. If you had something really valuable, you'd go out in the backyard and bury it, or you'd bury it in the side of your house. So that's where they kept their wealth. And and Jesus is saying, that's not a very good idea. Because if you are depending on your wealth, first of all, your clothes are made of wool. And in that climate, <laughs> moss quickly destroyed them. So, so, so don't put your confidence in that. Because your clothing is eventually going uh, to be eaten. And rust destroyed. That's another strange one. When we think of rust, we think of a junkyard. But the meaning behind that word is an eating away. So when you think about the produce, it was the idea of the produce being eaten away because of uh, mice and insects and vermin. So you're, you couldn't trust in your produce that it was always going to be there. And where thieves break in steel, they're going to find what's in the ground if uh, they see you planting it or they look for it or they're going to dig it out of your house. So nothing is certain on this earth. So don't store your treasures here. Very interesting birth. Psalm, excuse me, Proverbs 23, 5. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Well, isn't that true? <laughs> just look at riches, just for a moment, and they're gone. It's like they had wings and flew away. Probably all of us experience this to some degree in this great recession that we're a part of. And, for example, retirement savings, they just kind of flew away. Where'd they go? It was there. It was on a statement. Now I get a statement and the money's gone. It flew away. And that's what Solomon writes. Don't trust in riches because they can be gone in a second. 
Don't put your confidence in them. We think about other ways that our riches can move away from us. I lose our job. When you think about our health, that always can create a crisis that costs a lot of money. Other unexpected bills. You think about the future of our country. When we retire and we're dependent upon Social Security, is there going to be any money left for us? So it's all uncertain. So that's why you don't put your hope in it. There's a woman named Nora Gill, and she lived in Lexington, Kentucky, back in June of 2005, and she was listening to a local radio station, and they were having a 100 grand contest. And if you were the 10th caller at a certain time during the span of a particular show, you were going to win 100 grand. Very interesting. So she listened, and she was the 10th caller. So she was so thrilled. She was telling her kids, oh, we're going to get a new minivan. We're going to buy a new house with a backyard. We're going to do all kinds of shopping. And she went down to the radio station, and they informed her that they were giving her a Nestle's 100 grand bar, a candy bar. She became very upset, and I don't know all the details, but obviously they misrepresented it in some way because the radio station manager said, we'll give you 5000 And she says, well, I want the other 95000 right? And isn't that just like life? If we put our faith in wealth, it never comes through. It never satisfies. We look in 1 Timothy, and this is the verse we need to take to heart. Command those who are rich in this present world. That's us. We live in the United States. We're rich compared to the rest of the world. Not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, saying, hey, i got taken care of it. i got my financial plans. i got my savings. That's unwise. That's pride. That's what God doesn't want. Don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So that's the issue here. What are you putting your hope in? Are you putting your hope in wealth? Are you putting your hope in God? And that's something we struggle with every day. Because we want so much to put the hope in ourselves because of our sinfulness. We want so much to have everything tied up in a nice little package and know that we can depend on what we've planned out but God says, that's not the way to live. But we say, I feel more comfortable that way. <laughs> God says, no, 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 no. You need to do something more difficult. You need to trust in me. And we say, well, that's hard to do. I know it's hard to do, but that's what you need to do. That's, the health. that's, that's when the light is going to start to flow into your life and, and you're going to experience the life I want for you. And he's going to richly provide us with everything that we need. He's going to give us sustenance. No, for our enjoyment. I like that verse, <laughs> right? Our enjoyment. God wants me to enjoy my possessions. He wants me to enjoy what he's entrusted to me to use on his behalf. So the question that each of us needs to ask every day, what am I putting my hope in? Am I putting my hope in my wealth? Am I putting my hope in God? We study on in the passage, verse 20. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now that's different, right? Not here on earth, but in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy. 
If you put your investment in heaven, it's going to stay there. It's not going to change. It's not going to be stolen. It's not going to disintegrate. It is safe with God. And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you think of the ways that we invest our money? Always are thinking, typically these days, maybe about the safest way to invest our money. There's all different types of financial vehicles out there in which you can do this, but by far, <laughs> there's no comparison. The safest place to invest your money is in the kingdom of God. Because God guarantees it. Now, we have the FDIC, you know, up to $100,000. <laughs> the FDIC has nothing on God in terms of guaranteeing our resources, guaranteeing what God's entrusted to us. So you might say, okay, well, if I'm going to invest my resources there, what's my return? That's always a question we ask, right, when we invest our resources. What is my return? Well, look at Psalm 1611. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Hmm. What do we have in eternity? We have the presence of God. That we are going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. That we are going to enjoy Him day by day by day forever. And eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now, God gives us a lot of pleasures here on earth, doesn't he? And we enjoy those. And he created those pleasures. And I've talked about this many times. Eternity is something hard for us to understand and grasp. We're going to be talking about that next week. How do you keep your focus on eternity and keep this life in perspective? But when we try to describe eternity, we just can't do justice to it. And as I've said before, the only thing that we can do to understand eternity is to say, okay, God created this life, and I'm enjoying a lot of things in this life. And now he's gone to an upgrade, 2.0, 3.0, 4.0. He just keeps going, right? He says, okay, I'm going to do this a whole lot better. <laughs> right? I'm going to give them pleasures that are going to blow their minds. We, we don't know what they are, but he promises them, and he delivered down here on earth, so I think he's going to do pretty well in heaven, don't you think? Amen? Amen. Matthew 19, 29 talks about the return, if you're, again, asking that question. And everyone who has left our houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or fields, for my sake, will receive hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. So there were a lot of people that went through a lot of painful experiences when they followed Jesus Christ. Their families turned against them. You think of the disciples. They left everything. And Christ says, okay, if you sell out to me, if you're totally committed to me, if you put your hope in me, if you understand that every, anything you have to be what I've entrusted to you, I'm going to give you a return in heaven. If you invest in heaven, you're going to receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. I love what Alcorn says in the book, The Illustration. If I was a billionaire, imagine that. If I was a billionaire and I said to you, okay, I can give you $10,000 today, or next year I can give you a million. Now, what would you choose? Oh, I've got to have the ten grand now. 
I want the money. I need the money. I got so many bills. Would you be willing to wait a year for a million? How many would be willing to do that? So I'll, I'll, I'll take the year wait. Okay. <laughs> you know the strange thing about it, though, is that here on earth, we got the ten grand in our hand. And we're saying, God, you know, I, I don't want to invest in your kingdom because I have needs right now. But God says, listen, if you invest in my kingdom, you're going to receive unbelievable rewards and pleasures in heaven. But God, I got 10 grand in my hand. I mean, this is a, a sure thing. God says, hey, you got to trust in me that it's going to be so much better in heaven. And I'm going to give you 100 or 100 times the return. Now, does anybody know a financial vehicle out there that can give you 100 times the return? Because I would like to know about it personally. I don't see any hands out there. Okay. But God has the vehicle. You make your investment in his kingdom. You you, you spend your money as it's His money. You, you give to Him here in your local church. If this is your body, you, you give to the Lord. You honor Him in that way. You give to other organizations that are doing God's work. You, you give to needy people that come along in your life. You give to wherever God directs you to give. That's, that's an eternal investment. And that's where the return is going to be. Now, another critical verse in this passage is found in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve two masters, he says. You can't go in two directions at the same time. You're going to hate one and, and love the other. Now, this is what I find interesting. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I, I think that would make a lot more sense if it said you cannot serve both God and yourself. Yeah, I mean, that's what we've been talking about, right? Am I going to serve myself or am I going to serve God? But why does he talk about money? You can't serve both God and money? Well, because of all the reasons I've told you already. Is that money speaks. Follow the money, right? And you'll find out where your values are. You'll find out where your heart is. Your treasure follows your heart. And God says, you can't put your confidence in your money. You can't trust your money. You've got to put your trust in me. So it's one or the other. We read on here in Matthew 6, 16 and 22. It says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one... You are slaves of the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. You're going to be a slave to somebody. You're going to be either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. Either sin is going to own you or righteousness is going to own you. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. So because... Those of you who have embraced the forgiveness and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for your sins, you now have eternal life. And you no longer have to be a slave to sin. You were a slave to sin, and you had no choice before you became a Christ follower, but once Christ transformed your life, now you have a choice. But you still can choose to be a slave to sin. You can choose to, again, focus on yourself, take your eyes off God, 
put your eyes in the things that you want that God does not uh, honor. And you can still be a slave to sin. So every day we're making that decision. Who am I going to be a slave to? Who am I going to depend upon? And that is the crux of this matter, is who are you going to invest in? Are you going to invest in your own life, or are you going to invest in God's kingdom? We come to our last verse here, Psalm 16, 8. It says, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is in my right hand. I will not be shaken. I know some of you are out there thinking, oh, Dan, you don't know my financial situation. You don't know the burdens that I bear. I, I feel that I'm really not doing well in the Christian life here. <laughs> you know, I, there are so many areas that I fall short in. Well, friends, join the crowd. I'm right there with you. That's where we live. That's where we live. It's broken people. And only Jesus Christ can be there for us. Only Jesus Christ can empower us. Only Jesus Christ can change our life day by day. This is not going to happen overnight. But as you continue to clear your vision up, as you continue to look at Him, He's going to start to work in your life. And your problems aren't going to go away. If your life is a mess, it's probably going to be a mess tomorrow. But the important thing is you got the best contractor working on it. <laughs> right? <laughs> you turn the mess over to him and say, I've made a mess here. I need your help. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Amen? Amen. That, I have set the Lord always before me. That's where it's at. You continue to put God before you, Jesus Christ before you. You continue to pursue him, and he's going to put the pieces together. I put some next steps together for you. I was encouraging you to take that next step in growth. A couple different things. I encourage you to buy the Treasure Principle book and read along with us. Uh, read the first two chapters of the Treasure, excuse me, the Treasure Principle. And, and what I want you to do is take your communication slip out and write down the letter in terms of what thing you would like to do. This is kind of why you're saying, "Hey, this is what I want to do." It's a decision you're making. So when you walk out of here, you know I made a decision. Even if it's just buying a book or reading two chapters. Study and meditate on scriptures. Maybe that's what you are been called to do. You, you look at the scriptures on the message notes and say, I just want to spend more time with the scripture this week. I want to meditate upon it, maybe study a particular passage that really stands out to me. Or you may want to memorize a January verse of the month. Or maybe you want to sign up for the women's retreat. How many have been on a spiritual retreat before with other people? How many agree that it's the, one of the best ways to turbo your relationship with God and with other people. I hardly agree. I've been on all kinds of retreats, man. Things happen on retreats. God works on retreats. So, ladies, no men can sign up for the retreat. I'm sorry. But uh, <laughs> we're going to be having a men's retreat a little later. But, uh, ladies, I want to encourage you to sign up because God is going to work uh, during that particular weekend. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths that are found in it. Thank you that we can study it and learn and grow. And thank you, Lord, for the hope that it delivers to us, the hope that we need so much. I pray for my friends who are struggling today, a host of problems, whatever they might be, I pray that you let them know that whatever their situation is, that you have hope for them. 
just need to give it over to you. In Christ's name, amen. I have Mark O'Meara come up at this time. We're having a ministry focus today. I just want to encourage people to step into ministry. And Mark works back in our production area. He's one of our leaders. And uh, I just want to let ask you the question, what do you enjoy so much about being involved in ministry? Well, uh, the best thing that I like about being involved in the different ministries that I'm involved in is building relationships and friendships with so many people that I wouldn't have done otherwise. Uh, just by coming to church, yeah, you build some relationships, but it's not to the extent of when you join a ministry and you build those close, tight relationships with people. I, I can't even tell you at least 20 relationships I've built since I've joined the different ministries. I agree. And that's what makes church fun, really. <laughs> I mean, church is fun anyway, but, I mean, it really makes it rich when you come out and, and you connect with people. You want to see your friends, and you want to walk with them. Yeah. So tell us what's going on in production. Uh, what needs do we have? Well, right now we've got two very big needs. One of them is the uh, soundboard. And we're just looking for people on that right now because the learning curve is so great that it takes a long time to train someone on there. It's not that hard. It's very easy, but it does take quite a while to learn all the different aspects of it. The huge need that we need is the multimedia. And that's when you see the graphics on the screens here, the words to the songs, the uh, different Bible verses. We are very low on people there. It's not that difficult. Basic understanding of computers is all you really need. If you have a PowerPoint understanding, that's even better yet. How many think they know computers pretty well? I, I, I don't want to raise my hand. I had a lot. They're more taking hands. pictures. I know it. I know they're taking pictures. They're going to hunt me down. <laughs> we need you, okay? We shouldn't have a problem like this, right? We got a bunch of software people out there. Please step up. All right. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> yeah, all right. That's great. Yeah, it's just fun. I think of Mark. We meet together monthly on the production team. We hang out on the weekends together. And Why do I have such a great relationship with Mark? Because I do ministry with him. If you're looking for good relationships, get involved in ministry. If you have our come forward at this time, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for ministry. And I, I really pray for anybody who's not involved in ministry here that they would take that first step, that they would move in that direction in order to enjoy the wonderful nature of relationships and serving you in Christ's name. Amen. And one note also, if you're interested in just kind of having a first serve in production,